we're making a shift in what series we're in. We finished the, the book of Psalms, not all of it, but we did a few of them. We went through that. Hopefully that was encouraging to you. We'd like to do that again as we move forward through the years. But I was thinking about as we jump back into the book of Acts, um, I was thinking about when I was a kid. I didn't grow up in a church home like at all. Like I had no affiliation with church whatsoever. And so I remember when I was a kid, we would drive around and whether we were in um, cities or, or whether we were uh, driving through towns and neighborhoods, I always just kind of like, I noticed buildings. There's all these buildings all over the place. And I noticed the buildings that I was looking at were very different. They didn't look like normal buildings, especially when they were in a neighborhood. I remember going, that's a really big building. Man, who, who lives in that house? That's a, that's a huge house. Or I'd go to the city and these, these houses would look like castles. And I'm like, that is a an aggressive home to put in the middle of the city. And I remember asking my parents, like, oh, who lives there? And they're like, that's a church, son. I'm like, what's a church? And I had no compartment for what that is. And I remember looking at it going, this is bizarre to me for not having a church background, not understanding why these buildings took place. And um, as I started to think more and more about it, I think that we might have slipped into this idea about what the church is. Um, when I ask people, Christians, non-Christians, you know, you say things like, um, uh, are you going to go to church? What church do you go to? We have this idea at times that the church is a building, that the church is a place. And uh, as I was kind of thinking through that and looking at that, it wasn't until later I realized, well, that's not necessarily accurate. As I thought about this church and where people went, that's where really holy, godly people went, and that's where they went to, to do the God thing, whatever the God thing was, and they would float around, and they'd heal people, and they'd shine with like light from their bodies, and that's what they did. And I'm like, I guess I can't go there because I don't do any of those things. Um, but here's what I found out later in life. As you look at the early church in the book of Acts, for the first 300 years, they had no building. There was no building. So let me put it this way. America is almost 250 years old. Still wouldn't have a church building. If that, we're talking about the 300-year process. So if that fact is true, then the word church means something very, very different than what we've turned it into, into the society that we live in today, that it's not a place. It's not... It's not a building, but there's something more about that. So we have to start asking, well, what is this about? And that's what we've been doing as we were studying the book of Acts. Last year, we went to the first third of the book of Acts, we went through one through five. I said, I know math, Simon, and that's not a third, I know. But the way we're going to do it, that will be a third. Um, we're going to keep pressing into it. But it's been answering that question almost from the get-go when we get into it, that, that the church is God's people committed to God, committed to each other, walking every day, day by day with each other. See, the church has always been a group of people. See, we don't go to church, but we are the church. Well, how do these people live? They live in a different way. They, they think differently. They act differently. They love each other differently. They hold tight to each other in, in Christ and who they are in Christ when they exist in a world that is hostile to the freedom that the actual gospel offers. And I mean, think about this. As we've been chugging through the book of Acts, all these different things have happened, and I'll kind of like do a quick flyby. If you're new and this is your first time, you're like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm like halfway into a movie. It's okay. 
They're all on tape. You can go to YouTube. You can look at all those, and you can watch those and catch up if you'd like. But we've seen the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've seen Jesus ascend to heaven. We saw Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit did actually come. We've seen Peter, who was kind of a a bold coward, if that makes sense. If you know the story of who Peter is, he'd be like bold sometimes and a coward at other times. But we see that he becomes extremely bold, extremely empowered, and he preaches the gospel and, and hundreds come to Jesus and thousands come to Jesus. People were being healed. There was persecution that started. And in this persecution, we saw one thing, one, one thing that would happen over and over again every time that the world would push against the church. You know what that was? Growth. Always growth. No matter what, no matter what was happening, the church was growing in these moments. So the thing that I had to unlearn about the church, and maybe you need to unlearn this as well, and it's, it's not a place for perfect people. If you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Like if I went to a perfect church, it wouldn't be perfect anymore because I'm not perfect. But we know that it's not a place that's for perfect people. See, at times, we'll see that Jesus would even talk about um, who he came for. He says, I didn't come for the healthy. They don't need a physician. I came for the sick and for the broken and the hurting. That's what the church is. It's a place where we go that we can be shown and told and seen the truth of a God that loves us, that pursues us, that chases after us. In spite of our failures, for a while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us, right? That's the idea so we come to this place and like, oh, Jesus is just a crutch. Yeah, I need one. Absolutely. Because without him, I'm helpless. I'm broken. I'm separated from, from the Father. Like, this is where we come to, to know that we can be a part of this family. And you say, well, I don't buy it. The early church was, it was like, it was dialed in, Simon. It was perfect. I'm going to just lovingly disagree with you with Scripture. And so let me just talk about a couple things that were happening in the early church right off the bat. So I talked about suffering and there was persecution. Acts 4 and Acts 5 actually point to that. You see that Peter goes and that they're like, hey, stop talking about this Jesus. Don't do that. Peter and John get drugged in to be intimidated by all the guys that are there. And they're like, don't do this. And then they threaten them. And then at one point they got beaten. So there's persecution going on for talking about who Jesus is and what he did. We see very early on that sin was involved in the church. Sin was happening within the church. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, they're giving tithes and offering. Ananias and Sapphira were there, and they said, hey, we're going to give some money, which is great, and they should, but then they lied about how much they gave, so they would look holier than they really were. They would look like they were more important than they really were, and they got called out on that. And so that sin is existing in the early church. Persecution and suffering is existing within the early church. In spite of all that we see, Acts 3, 42 through 47 and Acts 4, 32 through 37 tell us that they had all things in common and that they were together. So we see that the circumstances wasn't really was the was going on here that there was something bigger happening and today what we're going to see is that we see this conflict within the church and then we're going to we're going to walk into this kind of this first at least glimpse of what the conflict looks like and how it plays out but there's a way that it can be handled that is a godly way and it comes down to what is the heart of how you handle these things when they happen so 
If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 today. That's going to be our main passage, our main focus that we're going to be in. Uh, If you have uh, a Bible, turn there. If you need a Bible and you want one, there's free Bibles underneath the seats. You can grab one of those. You can follow along. Or if you're really tech savvy, you can pull out your phone, scan this QR code, and it'll take you to a link to where you can actually have access to a Bible to read as well. Look at that. We're in the 21st century. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicarn, and uh, Timon, and these are hard names for me, so just please bear with me, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These were set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And when the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to dive into this and see what God has for us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for showing us really what's happening in the church Thank you for what you've designed for how the church to function. How we're to call to love those in the community of believers. Lord, I ask that if you want to press on our hearts this morning, that you would just press on our hearts, that we would hear you. That as we hear the prompting of you, Holy Spirit, that we would respond to that in obedience. For those that need to be maybe um, convicted of areas in their life, that you would do that in a way where they would feel your presence and not your judgment. For those that need to be encouraged, Lord, I ask that they would be encouraged if they're, if they're submitting to your word already, that you would do that in a way that would help them feel like um, they're pursuing you well. If there's things that I am going to say this morning, Lord, that aren't from you, please take them from my, from my mouth. Please take them from my notes. If there's things that I need to say to this particular group of individuals this morning that's, that's different from the second service, let me be bold enough to trust you and to say the things you want me to say. We love you. For this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So there's one thing that we'll see over and over again with the church is that it's super generous. They saw a need and they met that need the best that they could with the resources they had. That was just kind of like, it'll be a, an over, a theme that's gone over and over and over again all the time that there is this need by people in the church and then the church meets that needs and cares for those people. And and the thing that was so interesting about that is as they did that, it was extremely attractive to those outside of the church. So what I mean by that is they were acting in a way that was so different from the world around them. And it was really countercultural to do what God had called them to do. So you're giving of your money. Some of these people didn't have a lot of money, yet they're, they're seeing people that they don't know. They're coming to the church, they're meeting needs, they're making sure they have food, they're helping them pay their bills, they're making sure that there aren't people that are in want that, are, that, that can't take care of themselves. No one's seen that before. 
And a lot of this is based out of because they had all things in common, this idea that they felt the pain and the difficulties and the hardship of those that were in the building. We, we, we feel this all the time with the people in our family, right? When someone in your family hurts, you hurt. We feel that. And the church is a family. See, the generosity that they had and where it came from, we need to understand. So they have this generosity that's overflowing from them. Well, where does that come from? Because of the generosity they experienced from God. See, God was so generous with us, and they realized that, that they didn't earn God's favor. They didn't deserve God's favor. They were far from God. They were in rebellion against God. And yet God, in His great mercy, compassion, and love, pours out everything He has so we can be in relationship with Him. Like this is, as they saw God, they said, there's no reason why I should be a part of God's family, but yet God has been so gracious and generous to give us his best, his son, to die on the cross for us so we can be in relationship with him. I want to be like my savior. I want to be like Jesus. I want to live a life that looks like who Christ is and what God did. And as they did that, the world started to see the love of God. Like this is, this is so crazy. And they started asking the questions, why would they do that? Why are they so loving? Why are they so caring? Why do they give so freely? Which leads to the next questions is, would they love me this way? Would they care for me this way? Would they be generous with me in this way? And the answer is always yes. Yes, they would. And so they would come and be a part of that family and they would experience the gospel. Now, here's the thing. Um, the church is full of people. We don't deal in stocks. We don't deal in numbers. We don't, we don't manufacture whiz, widgets or Cogswell Cogs if you're like, you like the Jetsons. We don't do that. That's not what we do. We don't produce anything here. We deal with the lives of people. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to say this really outlandish thing. People are messy because life is messy, right? Like we can be super loving and super unloving. We can be super generous and super selfish. We can be kind and we can be unkind. We can get our feelings hurt through a misunderstanding that wasn't even what was said or meant to be said. Because we're still in the process of being sanctified. And, and if you're new and you don't know words like, that's okay. I had to learn all these words and I barely know them now. But it's, all it means is it's just, we're, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. The process of sanctification is walking through life, laying down our sin, and trusting Jesus with where we are. Now, as you start to think about this, we're going to make mistakes in life, right? Can we just own that? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. There are going to be days where I say the wrong thing. There's going to be days where I do the wrong thing, think the wrong thing, act in a way that might be unloving or unkind. It may be intentional because I'm a big sinner. It may be unintentional and it was a misunderstanding. But it's going to happen. But here's the thing. It's what we do in those moments that show what the gospel truly does. So here's what's happening in this situation that we just read through. More and more people are coming to faith in Jesus. Like they have this, it's a problem, but it's a great problem. Like people are coming in the thousands and we're, we're having a hard time managing all of this growth. Um, think about this. We have 
250 people here roughly at our church, we would call our church home between both services, and we have 11 people on staff, and we feel as though we are drowning most of the time. That's just, we work long hours and we do a lot. Now imagine having thousands and thousands and thousands. I've been to churches where there's like, we have 5,000 people. Their staff meetings look like our entire congregation. And I'm not even joking. I walked in, I'm like, oh, what service? They're like, no, that's just staffing. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't have a compartment for that right now. Because the more people you add, the more complex it gets, doesn't it? And the more time-consuming it gets, there's only so many hours in a day, and there's only so many people you can interact with. And so they're realizing that there's a problem that's starting to arise in serving the needs of the people at the church. And so it seems that there is this group that was not receiving the same care as the rest of the people at the church. So one of the things that we see that the church is called to do all the time is to care for orphans and widows. Maybe orphans, widows, homeless, you've seen that, maybe you've heard that. It's talking about those that are marginalized, those that can't care for themselves, those that don't have the ability to provide for themselves. And in that day and in that age, orphans, widows, and homeless had a very hard time providing, let alone if it was a widow who had kids, to provide for a family would be extremely difficult. They didn't have the access that we have to different things today at this age. They weren't working like the others were during that time and during that age. So they were the marginalized group of individuals that weren't able to provide for their family. So the church started to meet that. And so we start to get these clues as to how the problem plays out. We learn that this group is called the Hellenist. Uh, what, what, who are they? What does that even mean? These are Greek-speaking Druze, Jews who lived outside of Palestine, and their common language was Greek. That's who they were. So here's where the other problem comes into. We have this group of Jews that are from Palestine, and they speak Aramaic. I was told very early on by my father-in-law, who spoke Aramaic all the time, you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic, just like us. And I'm like, that's awesome, Vic. I'm very happy. That's cool. But they were speaking one language. This other group was speaking another language. Do you think that anything got lost in translation? Absolutely. There became a problem in the language to where, and it wasn't intentional. It wasn't they were like, we don't like you because you're not from Palestine, that you're outside of there. That wasn't the issue because it says they had all things in common, right? So that wasn't the issue. There was some kind of problem with how they were communicating where they weren't getting their needs met that they actually needed at the church. So here's what I love. Uh, there's this section in the movie Saving Private Ryan, and they're walking through a field and all the people are complaining. They're complaining about the mission. They're complaining about what they're doing. And then they say, you know, hey, Captain, how come you're not complaining? And he says this great comment. Complaints go up. They don't go down. And so what we see here in this moment is this is exactly what they do. I, I, I love and appreciate that the, that the men and the women in this congregation, they didn't start causing dissension. They didn't cause gossip and stuff. What did they do? They went to the disciples, they went to the apostles and said, hey, we got a problem. Like, this is a thing that's happening. And here's the thing. There's always going to be problems in life, right? Right? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure that we're on the same, like, if we're not on the same page, we're going to be in trouble because there are always problems in life. And so there are going to be problems that are going to arise in the church as well. Here's the thing. We just got to figure out how to solve the problem. Now, here's what they didn't do well, maybe you should find a church that meets your needs then. (laughs) 
We laugh because that is something that has been said in the church at times. Or, you know what? Why don't you go find people that are like you? Why don't you go with your people? And they didn't treat them like second-class citizens, did they? No, they said, hey, let's get a meeting together. And they gathered everyone together, and they wanted to have a meeting so they could figure out what was going on. But what they really needed to do is they needed to identify the bigger problem. It was more than just people getting some food right? So we talk about this all the time. Like when we start to look at at things in our life, we can talk about the root and we can talk about the fruit. The things that you do, the things that you live out, the things that you, um, uh, you know, do with your mouth or with your hands, that's all fruit. It comes, you're like, where did that come from? There's a problem in our heart. There's a root issue that we need to deal with. And until we deal with that root issue, the fruit just keeps on growing. As they're looking at this issue, like, well, them not getting the food is actually a fruit problem. We need to figure out the root problem of what's going on. And the issues of the widow, what that was is, uh, it was very similar we see in Exodus uh, 18, 13 through 18. Uh, here's the scenario that's happening all the way back in the Old Testament. Moses, maybe you heard of that guy. He's the guy that, you know, kind of God picked, it led the way, part of the Red Sea, got the, the Israelites free from the Egyptians. You got to know the story that I'm talking about. So they're out, they're free from the Egyptians, but they're kind of wandering the desert. They've crossed the Red Sea already. Um, God's provided water and bread from, from, from heaven that would feed them while they were on their way. And Moses' father-in-law is going to come and visit to get a report on how things are going. His name is Jethro. And so he wasn't from the south. He was actually, you know, you know, from the Middle East. And so he shows up and he's like, hey, how are things going? And Moses is like, God's been doing this and God's been doing that and he's doing this. He's like, what a great report. That's fantastic. And then the next day, we have this interaction between Moses and Jethro where Jethro notices something and says, hey, we should probably talk about this. <clears throat> Starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that was, he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make it known to them the statutes of God's and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you, and you are not able to do it alone. Which is kind of crazy. He's like, I'm doing God's work. And he's like, this is not good. You're, you don't have the ability and the capacity, because we're talking about anywhere between, depending on how you count your numbers, like... Hundreds of thousands to a million. It could be so many people that he's like, I'm just going to sit in this chair and I'm going to, yes, no, yes, no, wrong, right, that, all day long. You think it's going to have a toll on him? You think he's going to bear the weight of that? And so he goes, I got to do this. I got a plan for you. Verses 21 through 22. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, and fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will, be, they will bear the burden with you. 
there was no way that he could judge all those people. And he gives them this plan of like, hey, you need help. You need others to walk alongside you. Oh, and by the way, don't just pick any rando. There's qualifications for these individuals, like who they are and, and, and how they act and how they view God and what they, they're not going to take bribes so someone else can, can get what they want. See, Moses was kind of the guy who would go to God and God would talk to Moses and Moses would go to the people and say, this is what God wants us to do. This is when he wants us to camp out. This is when he wants us to go to the next place. Like, and they, they would follow the pillar of fire and the smoke. And so they would do that. And so he was there to spend time with God and make sure that people knew what God was calling him to do. It wasn't that he was above doing all those things. He was more than willing to do it, right? It's that he needed to do something different that God had called him to do. See, this is the issue that we see with the early church. The apostles realized that they were getting bogged down with, let me be honest, a very important thing. It wasn't like taking care of the widows and the orphans and the homeless wasn't important. It was actually extremely important and it needed to be done. The problem was, is that they were getting so bogged down, they couldn't do the thing that God was calling them to do. It says so in verse 2. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. See, they understood what they were called to do. Like, they weren't getting to use their gifts the way that God had given them gifts to use that. They were spending, they needed to be spending time teaching God's word praying for God's direction, and then leading the church. Now, I, I need you to hear this, and I, I'm going to tell you some stuff that's it's not, it's not like the humble brag. That's, that's not what I'm going to do, but I just want you to understand the reality of what it means to be a pastor or an elder or even how the apostles function in the church. So um, in 2006, I went into ministry full-time, left a job, a really good paying job. We live in the Bay Area. Things were great. We go into ministry. We took a pretty big pay cut. We're like, God will provide. It'll be great. It's going to be worth it. We're going to spend all this time with people and do all this ministry. And so many of you may not remember your first day at many jobs. I will always remember the first day that I went into ministry full time and was paid. I spent eight hours washing windows. That was my first day in ministry. And I remember they said, welcome to ministry. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what did I do? I'm a janitor. What happened? <laughs> and I remember just going, okay. And, and we did that. And I remember in, in Seattle, when I was there, uh, we didn't have a janitorial staff. We just didn't have it in the budget. We wanted to spend our money in some different areas. So we just didn't have that. So once a week, all the pastors would get together and say, all right, who's cleaning what? And you know, the one place that no one wants to clean is the I'm like, I'll do the bathroom, I'll do the toilets, whatever, let's just get it done. And so you go in there and you're like, I love these people, and I can, as I smell you, I love you. I mean, you're like, I, I love these people really well. And so I would do that, and I remember every Sunday, I would walk around, I'd put on my rubber gloves, and I'd grab my bag, and I would grab my little picker-upper sticker thing, and I would walk around, and I would pick up heroin needles, and then I would pick up human feces. We had a special shovel. It had a name and everything. And so we would go around every Sunday. That's what I would do. I say that because ministry is, you just never know what you're going to get into as a pastor. There are days I walk in and I am like stacking tables and chairs. There are days when I'm doing construction projects. There are days where I can just focus and write a sermon. There are days where I'm counseling people. There's days where I'm doing uh, weddings, memorial services, or whatever it may be. It's just all over the place. 
And so it's not that any of us are above that, but God has given us gifts in different areas to use for the body. See, they, they agreed that they needed others to help, that they couldn't carry the load themselves. Godly men in this case who would be able to serve them. It's also important to note that all these names, especially the three that I couldn't pronounce, were Greek-speaking Hellenist. What does that mean? It means that they were more well-equipped to meet the needs of those individuals in that congregation. They understand who they were, their culture, their language. They didn't say, all right, Peter, you need to, to learn Greek now. He's like, huh. That's not what happened. So we're going to find guys who are going to do that, guys that love God. And so out of this conflict, out of this problem, we see that church governance is actually born, that there is going to be a structure and an order to how things are done in the church, that God is not a God of chaos, but God is a God of order, and even how he runs his church, that there's ways that things happen. I have learned over and over again, the church is meant to be a place where everyone can use their gifts and abilities, and it's not for themselves. We think, oh, I've got this special gift. I'm, I'm a, I'm a high-level athlete. I'll use that for myself. I'll make a lot of money and everything will be great. No. We have these gifts and abilities to actually serve other people in the church. That's why we've been given those gifts. Upon conversion, everyone receives special gifts. We have natural gifts and abilities that God gives us from birth, but we also receive these gifts upon coming to Christ. Says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you this gift, and I want you to use this to then serve the greater body. And what we see is that <clears throat> what's happening in this moment is that we have our first installments of deacons in the church. It would just be more defined by Paul in the book of 1 Timothy 3. And he defines the qualifications of what a godly person looks like. So in 1 Peter 3, 8 through 13, I'm going to read this just so you can kind of see like there's more going on here than just like, you've got a pulse, you should be a deacon. That's not how that works. Deacons, likewise, uh, that's coming from the first section where it's talking about um, overseers, elders, shepherds. So just there's a distinction, but we're not going to get into that today. Uh, one must, not, uh, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, not, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ Jesus. So we see that the elders, as they are seeking God out, they're teaching God's word. And by the way, one of the biggest distinguishing factors between deacons and elders is teaching that falls on the elders. That's where that falls. Just so you, if you want to know the biggest difference, that's the biggest difference out of those two. But we see that the deacons start to become more like the hands and the feet of the church. They're kind of, they're doing all these things. They get their hands in with the people that they're helping in all these different ways. And so as this structure of the church was meant to help serve the church and care for the needs of the church and it's coming and it's going. Now, here's the thing. So you may wonder if you're new, like, well, you're talking about church governance. How does that work? Are you like the president of the church, Simon? Negative. That is not how that works. Um, I don't rule with an iron scepter. Um, right, guys? 
Okay, cool. Yeah, they'll, they'll attest. I don't do that. Um, I am a elder. I'm one of the elders. Okay, so there is a group of five other men, and we make collective decisions together as an elder team, right? You guys vote those elders in. So we talk about um, their right standing, who they are. They got, we, we vote those people in. We, we affirm who they are, right? And then from there, we have a staff that, that works here, and they report to me, uh, but they're also, they're under the elder boards. And so like they, let's say the elder board's like, Simon, what you're doing is wrong. They can actually come together and be like, hey, we need to have a conversation. You're, you, you're, this is wrong. It's not biblical. You shouldn't be doing this. And so I'm accountable to that. And then we have deacons that are here as well. And so uh, we have deacons here. We have uh, more deaconesses is what we have here. That's just the female version of what a deacon is. And um, we're not going to go into all the reasons why at this point and break everything down there, but we see that there is, that is there. We see biblical examples of female deaconesses in the Bible that exist. And so we have them, and you know what they do? They do some of the greatest work here at our church right now. They have groups of women and they call them, they check on them, they make sure they're doing okay, they pray for them, they visit them. Leanne is the head of the deaconesses, and she does a fantastic job of meeting, and they sit in a circle, and they pray. They pray for those women. They meet those needs. And you know why I'm so grateful? Because there's no way in the world that I would ever have all the time in the day to do that, and so I can let her use her gifts and her abilities, and the gifts and the abilities of other women that are serving our church. They are being cared for. They are being loved. They, we, when we find out there's a problem, they need something, guess what? Leanne's like, hey, we need to take care of this person. All right, let's do it. And we move forward, and we care for those people in the church. That's what it was meant to be. That's what it was meant to do. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, we see this idea of gifts and abilities in the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Like I said, upon conversion, you have been given gifts. God has called you to do something with those gifts. They don't terminate on yourself. They're meant to be shared for the entire body to see. See, when we start to live this out the way that God designed, God is glorified. We are blessed because we find that the church is not dependent upon one, two, three people. It's the entire body working in conjunction that makes the church so unique and so different. Soundly rooted in the Word of God and Christ. That's what, that's what bonds us. That's what keeps us together. And this is what we see playing out with these men as they establish this role. But, but I kind of have a question. If we were to get really practical today, if we were to actually go like, well, okay, what does that mean for me? I'm not going to be a deacon. Maybe you are, maybe you are. I don't know. But what does that mean for me? My question today is this. Where are you using your gifts to serve the church for the common good of all? Now, there are many here in the church that are serving in tons of great ways. You are serving this church and you are loving this church and you give of your time and your money and your resources and you pour out your heart to the church. And so if you're doing that, don't, don't think, oh, he wants more, he wants more. I, I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for all that you do with this church. But the reality is this, is that we have places that we need help. 
Let me, let me tell you, we need help here. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability to do that on our own. We, we, there are so many things that are happening in this church right now. So whether you understand it or not or know about it or not, like summertime is the slow time for the church because everyone's like on vacation, they're traveling, they're doing fun things. We're leaving summer, which means everybody shows back up and they're like, let's do ministry stuff. And so we kind of plan in the fall, as we move into the fall, that there are all these things that are starting to happen. And so maybe you noticed this morning, we're launching new things. Things are starting to happen. Like we just hired a youth minister, Justin. He's getting after it, but guess what? He needs help can't do it on his own. He's looking for, for female leaders right now, and he's looking for male leaders to come alongside these students and love them and disciple them and care for them. Like, we just hired a music minister, and, and, and it's hard to understand the needs in the church sometimes. Like, you look at, oh, they got a band, they're doing things. We are strapped all the time for musicians, for people running slides, for people running sound, for people running lights, for people putting programs together. Like, all these things have to happen, and it just takes lots of people and lots of time. The women's ministry, we are launching a brand new ministry, September 8th. And she's super excited about all that's happening, but she still needs table leads to come alongside and to help out to, at the tables to, to pour into these women, to love on these women, and to invest into their lives. Life groups are starting September 18th, correct? Yep, I was right. Ha <laughs> ha. We need more leaders. We need more co-leaders. We need people that are like, I, I've thought about leading, but I don't know where to start. We would love to talk with you. We would love to talk with you and go, hey, we can show you what it looks like to lead a group, or maybe you can come alongside and, and see what that looks like. Grief share is starting. And, and I'll say this, I am always amazed by how many people drive by, see this sign out here that says grief share, wander into our office, get plugged in, hear the truth about Jesus Christ, and start attending this service. But you know what? They need more help. I, go, I don't know what to do. We train people. Stephen's ministry is the same way. We walk alongside other people. We train people how to do that. So, so here's what I would love for you to do. I'm, I'm going to kind of like stop for a second. I want to do like a hard stop. If you scan this, there's a contact card. I would love for you to fill that. If you're new, we'd love to, to talk with you, get to know you, you can ask questions to us. But if you're like, I want to, I need to serve, Simon. I've been here for a long time. I haven't been serving. I just, I kind of come and I kind of go. What I would ask you to do is just scan that, click on the contact card and say, I want to serve. Don't worry about what category it's in. Someone from our team will call you this week and say, hey, Let's talk about where you're gifted and what you're doing. Now, some of you are like, I am so not good with technology. Me too. You have a bulletin. There's a little place where you can fill out, you're like, hey, here's my attendance. On that little line, right, I want to serve. And one of us will get back to you. You just drop that off in a basket on your way out. See, I have always been the most blessed when I'm serving other people at the church. I have always felt like God is using me, that I, I, like these gifts are for a purpose and a reason, and now when I use them, I'm like, I am being used by God, that I have purpose and meaning for what he's called me to do. When I was in Seattle, we had this 100-year-old building. It looked, like, it looked like a castle. And there was this huge, just 
massive stained glass. It was probably 25, 20 feet tall. It was huge. And if you look at a stained glass window really close, it's all these little pieces of just colored glass. And sometimes they, 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 they draw on the glass. You're like, that's kind of neat. That's cool. But as you start to move out, you realize that there's hundreds and thousands of pieces of glass. And their whole purpose is to make this really big picture that we would see something bigger and greater. And it's not that any one is that unique. It's collectively they come and they point to something bigger. So the question is this. What is the big picture for us? The big picture is that Jesus showed us what it meant to serve. In Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew 20, 25 through 28, it says this. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm always dumbfounded because here's the truth. The one individual that should be served is Jesus. God in the flesh, God incarnate. He should have been served, and yet he said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. I came to serve my people in their darkest hour, in their most broken state. See, Jesus is the perfect model and example of what it means to serve, and we are called to serve like Jesus. And you say, well, how did he serve me? I don't know how he served me at all. The darkest moment, the most broken you've ever been is because of sin. Sin has caused the brokenness in your life. Sin has caused the separation between you and God, God who is the giver and sustainer and keeper of life. Sin has wrecked that. So Jesus left the throne room of God and came down to earth, born in a nasty feeding trough, raised in poverty, lived a perfect life because we couldn't live that life. That he saw us in our state that we deserve God's wrath for rebelling against him. And, and you're like, well, not me. Can, can we just, we know we're not perfect. We know we don't meet God's perfect standard. And when faced with the holy God, we realize how small and insignificant we truly are. And we realize how broken we are and how we don't even have the right to look upon God because of our brokenness. And the punishment for that is death. And Jesus came and took that wrath. He put it on himself. What you deserve, he placed on himself and he went to the cross and died in your place. He then gives us his righteousness so we can even go and approach God. That he sees us and he sees the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He says, that's been paid for in full. You have my son's righteousness. You can come before me. We can have a relationship again. He has connected us back to the Father. He has served us by pouring out his entire life. Everything that we deserved, he took. And he gave us everything that we didn't deserve. Everything that we didn't earn. Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. He cares for us. And he wants us to be in relationship with him because he knows that we don't even understand how lost we truly are. When we serve as Christians, we look like Jesus. 
we're little pieces of stained glass in the bigger picture that points to Christ in all things. When we put them first and put ourselves second, we are showing them these little small pictures of the gospel. This is what God did for me, so therefore I'll do that for you. This is how God served me, so I'm going to serve you. When people would come and say, well, why are you meeting needs? Because our God sent his son to die on the cross so we could be in relationship with him. See, all these good deeds aren't determined as, oh, Simon, you're such a great person. Oh, Simon, you're so wonderful. Oh, you've done all these. No. Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is great. Jesus is amazing. He's the one that receives the glory, not because of me. That's, we point to Jesus every time that we serve, every time we get to show them the gospel of what God has done in our lives. And the, what's the result? What ended up happening because of this? Well, let's read verse 7, Acts chapter 6. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is crazy. Like, that little word priest is really important. So all these people, they just keep coming to Jesus because they keep seeing Jesus tangibly lived out. The priests were the ones who were saying, if you follow all the law and you do all the things, then God will be happy with you. They saw the reality of the gospel lived out and proclaimed, and they said, no, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, and they went and followed him. That's nuts. What would it look like if we did this in every avenue of how we existed as a church? What, what would that look like in our cities that we go to? What would that look like in our homes? What would that look like at our workplace? What would that look like at our gyms and recreation areas? Welcoming people and loving them, caring for them, showing them the gospel tangibly, and then being bold enough to proclaim this Jesus that we love and worship and what he's done. What would it look like for you to serve somebody like that this week? Maybe, maybe you're new here and you're like, oh, I got tricked into coming this morning. They said, let's get breakfast and now I'm sitting in a seat and I'm not sure why I'm here. Maybe you've been around someone for a really long time and you've experienced that love of Jesus Christ and you came because you're like, I just gotta know what's going on here. Like, why is this person the way that they are? Well, it's no accident that you're here. As a matter of fact, God has shown you love through that person so you would see the gospel that you would come here and that you would hear the truth about jesus christ that you could maybe today actually bend a knee and bow down to jesus as your lord and savior knowing that he died for you on the cross and forgives your sins and makes you new see this is a picture of god will you submit to him I try to push on areas that I need to be pushed on, and I don't do this to make people feel bad or guilty. But I think we're looking at a world that's broken really hard right now, and it does need to see this kind of love. It's the only thing that's going to cure the problem that we see in this world. And I'm calling you to do that today. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for being a God that loves us, that cares for us, that has served us in such a great way. Lord, I ask that you would allow us to serve in the same way that your church, your men and women, the body, a group of people loving each other the way that you love us would be the thing that would transform the hearts of men and women to know you, to love you, and to see you for who you are. For those in the body, Lord, this is a great way that we can encourage each other as we serve and meet those needs. I ask that you would do that amongst us. I ask that there are those that are feeling convicted right now about areas where they can use their gifts and abilities to serve the body as well, that you would you'd convict them, that they would hear you, that they would submit to you, that they would tear that, uh, that, that contact card off, that they would scan that and they would check that box and ask to be used. I love you. Pray this in your glorious name, Jesus. Amen.